Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, talking with you once again about practical issues related to ministry leadership. Well, we've come to Thanksgiving week, and since childhood, Thanksgiving has been my favorite holiday. As I reflect back on why it was my favorite holiday as a child, uh, the reasons are more practical than spiritual. First of all, I lived in West Texas, where summers are brutally hot, and by the fall of the year, you're ready for the break, and when the Thanksgiving season arrives, you really are in the best weather possible in West Texas. So I liked Thanksgiving because it was a signal that we were having a break from the heat and dry, difficult year uh, months of the summer. I also liked Thanksgiving as a child because, I guess of a personal reason, for whatever reason, Thanksgiving was the least alcohol-related holiday in our family. Alcohol was a big part of our family and a big difficult uh, part of my childhood. But for some, some reason, I don't have any negative memories associated with alcohol and Thanksgiving. And even though our ch- family wasn't a church-going family or anything like that, it just seemed that there was, even in our family, something different about Thanksgiving. Now, as I uh, got a little bit older, I really continued to like Thanksgiving because it was the least commercialized of the holidays. And quite frankly, it it still is in some ways. We've just come through uh, Halloween, which is very commercialized these days with every kind of gift and costume and food and candy imaginable being marketed and promoted. And then I actually saw my first Christmas decorations in stores the week after Labor Day, if you can believe that. And so the Christmas season is, of course, heavily commercialized. But between Halloween and Christmas is this little oasis of a holiday called Thanksgiving. Now, not only were those practical reasons, and as I grew up, those kind of shifting reasons making made Thanksgiving so important to me, but then as I got older and developed more of a commitment to Jesus Christ and more understanding of his word and more of an understanding of uh, what he has accomplished in my life, Thanksgiving took on new dimensions for me as a holiday that was really focused on spiritual reflection, on gratitude to God for all he's done in my life, and really uh, an opportunity to pause and reflect and be grateful for all that uh, has happened as a result of my salvation and my growing relationship with God through Jesus. So for all those reasons and probably some more that are slipping my mind this morning, Thanksgiving has always been my favorite holiday. So this year, as a part of the podcast, I thought I'd like to share some Thanksgiving reflections with you, and I'd like to do those around the theme of contentment for ministry leaders. Contentment for ministry leaders. Now, this subject is a significant one because in our culture, we're often challenged to get ahead, be the best, strive for excellence, Make something of yourself. Be ambitious. And quite frankly, there's nothing wrong with those things. There ought to be something about us that makes us want to improve our lives, ourselves, be better than we were last week, last year, certainly 10 years before. In fact, there's even something about this that's built into our DNA as Christians. It's called, in the Bible, sanctification or growing in holiness. We are expected to be making progress in our devotion, 
and in our purity and in our, uh, com- in our commitment to Jesus Christ. But yet in the context of all of this about ambition and growth, those of us in ministry leadership are faced with some hard realities about the downside or the negative side of ambition. So you might say, well, we just shouldn't have ambition as ministry leaders. Uh, all those things that you've said, Jeff, are, are all true, but they're, they're true for other people in other fields, but they aren't true for us. Well, that's not true, really. The Bible says if anyone aspires, aspires to the office of pastor, that's a good thing. So there is something aspirational about us wanting to be something, do something, and do it well that is right and good and godly and holy about our lives. So the question then becomes, how do we balance ambition with contentment? How do we find contentment and practice it as a spiritual discipline? Paul wrote about this in Philippians chapter 4. He said, beginning in verse 12, I know how to make do with little, and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or need. I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul said he had learned the secret of contentment, and it was somehow connected to that next phrasing that he was able to do all things through him who gives me strength. Now, Paul writes in this translation in the past tense, I have learned the secret. I wish I could say the same thing. I would write it this way for myself. I am learning the secret of being content. And I predict that no matter how long I live, I will be still writing it the same way. I am learning the secret of being content. For me, contentment is something that comes and goes, ebbs and flows, something that I have to work hard to keep focused on and maintain perspective on in my life. I find myself drifting away from contentment, moving into ambition and into unhealthy expressions of ambition that are really damaging to me. As a leader, though, that's not that uncommon. I think about biblical leaders, and there are multiple examples of people who lacked contentment and let ambition overwhelm them. Samson is a good example. He wanted more fame. He wasn't satisfied with the role and responsibility and recognition that he had received. He wanted even more. And then what about David? Just bluntly, he he wanted more sex. He wasn't satisfied with the sexual relationships he had with his wife or wives and others who were available to him. No, he had to have someone else's wife to consummate a sexual relationship with someone that ultimately led to murder and David's downfall. He wanted more. What about Judas? (laughs) He wanted more power. He wanted Jesus to take over. And when Jesus turned out to be a different kind of king than he was expecting, his 
lack of contentment and his unbridled ambition caused his undoing. These are just three examples. Samson, David, Judas. Three examples of leaders in the Bible who allowed their ambition to turn into a lust for more, which eclipsed any level of contentment they might have achieved or learned or experienced, and led to real catastrophe for each of them. So how do we avoid catastrophe and learn contentment? How do we learn what it means to practice the discipline of contentment while at the same time maintaining healthy ambition? How do you do that? Well, first, let me give you two warnings about this issue, and then I'm going to give you four steps that will help you to live out your contentment. First warning, be sure that your ambition is driven by right motives. Now, there's at least two of these that I think are good measurements of motive for leaders. First, is your ambition driven by the motive to love God and bring glory to God? When you've accomplished something, do you want people to step back and say, what a great pastor you are, what a great leader you are, what a great president you are? Or when you've accomplished something, do you want people to step back and say, what a good God we have, that he gave us a gift like you as our leader? What a good God we have, that he has worked through you as our leader to accomplish these actions. As a leader, you want to maximize your gifts and use your platform to accomplish so much good. What's driving you to do that? What's motivating you to do that? What's propelling you forward? Is it selfish focus on making a name for yourself? Or is it unselfish determination to bring glory to God? Are you doing these things because you have love for God and you want to express it? Or are you doing these things in order to earn love from God and somehow satisfy something deep within? So the first check, the first warning, if you will, is to be sure your ambition is driven by right motives. And those right motives are to express love for God, to bring glory to God, and then as it directs you toward other people to show love to others and to bless others in God's name. This means that you are driven, you do have ambition, you want to make something of yourself, you want to maximize your gifts, use the platform that you've been given, but when it's all concluded, you want people to walk away loving God bringing glory to him, and receiving blessing from what God has done through you in their lives. So that's the first warning. Be sure your ambition is driven by right motives. Here's the second warning. Beware the cultural lie that contentment comes from gaining the three Ps. 
What are the three P's? Possessions, positions, and power. This is what the culture tells you will lead you to contentment. If you get the right possessions, you get the right house, you get the right car, you get the right phone, you get the right clothes, you get the right jewelry, or perhaps even something that you get, a possession that really is about your hobby or about your avocation or about something that you collect, you're just determined if you can get this possession, you'll finally be content. Or what about position? Oh, if I can just become an associate pastor, if I just become the lead pastor, if I just become a faculty member, if I just become the president, if I can just gain a position, if I can be appointed a director or a teacher or something, if I can get promoted at work to a certain level, certain title, if I can get that, then I'll really be content. Well, the third one, power. If I can just get in charge, then I know I'll really be content. Well, these are the cultural lies about contentment, that they come from gaining possessions, position, and power. Now, there's not anything inherently wrong with having possessions or being given a position or even, ha- even having some power. That's part of leadership. The problem becomes when you fall prey to the lie that getting any one or all of these things is going to lead you to contentment. What you'll more likely find is that when you get to this level of achievement in these areas, you're going to find you want more. You're going to find that it wasn't as satisfying as you thought it would be. And you're going to find that the contentment that you really thought you were going to receive is still so elusive. Now, those are two warnings. Let's wrap up the podcast now with four steps that leaders can take to practice contentment. And as I said earlier in the podcast, be learning it along the way. Here are four things that I do that really help me to grow in my contentment to be less driven by wrong motives, less susceptible to cultural lies, and more focused on the spiritual disciplines and growth which do lead to contentment. Here's the first one. Focus on God as the source of all you have. Focus on God as the source of all you have. Now, if you've been around me very long, you've heard me say this before in various contexts. I'll say it again today. You are a product of what God and others have done for you. You are a product of what God and others have done for you. I heard a person say this many years ago at a conference, and he said, I challenge you to pull out a piece of paper and write down one thing in your life that is not a result of of what God and others have done for you. Well, I thought, that's easy. I, I'm a college graduate. Uh, I, I, nobody did that for me. And then I thought, oh, well, wait a minute. Well, wait a minute. Someone founded the college I went to. Someone raised the money to make it possible for me to go there and to receive scholarship assistance. 
Some teacher taught me how to read. Another one helped me learn how to write. Along the way, people stepped into my life at crucial moments and encouraged me, directed me, and prompted me to pursue education. And then when it came right down to it, God provided the resources for me to go through other people who put those dollars in my hands. You see, my college education was not due to my superior intellect. Oh, wait, wait, but I I was a pretty smart guy and, and did well in school. Yeah, because God gifted me with that kind of mind and the capacity to do that kind of work. So I had to come face to face with the reality that I am a product of what God and others have done for me. And I've been working on trying to make a list for all these years of just one thing, one thing in my life that is not a product of what God or others have done for me. And I have yet to identify even one thing. You say, well, yeah, but but you became the president of Gateway Seminary. That's a great achievement. That's a high honor. That's a real position. Yeah, you know how I got that? Because a board of trustees, some other people, voted and gave me the responsibility. Even the job I have today is a result of what God and others have done for me. This, more than anything else, helps me with contentment. Because every time I think that I've arrived, that I've done something, that I'm somebody, that I've accomplished, every time I swell up with some bit of pride in myself, I'm reminded of this, uh, this, this phrasing, no, Jeff, you're a product of what God and others have done for you. And when I reflect on that, it humbles me, it grounds me, it refreshes my perspective, And it gives me a deeper sense of contentment that what I have really is a result of God and others working in me. And I can relax and and enjoy that perspective. Here's a second thing that helps me. Focus on the blessings you have instead of comparing negatively to what others have. Here's a newsflash for you. There is always someone better off than you. Always. There is always someone better off than you. Someone who makes more money than you. Someone who has a nicer house than you. Someone who has an easier job than you. Someone who has better health than you. There is always someone who has it better than you. But, quite frankly, there are other people that look at us, each one of us, the same way and say, we have it better than them. But I've noticed a characteristic of human nature, and that is we tend to keep our focus in the one direction of the people who have more, better, or nicer than we do, and to continually evaluate ourselves by their standard and lose perspective as a result. Now, when you think about this particularly in the area of money, it's easy in American culture to think of, uh, of ourselves as having a struggle or being uh, challenged or dealing with financial difficulty. Right now, inflation is very high, and it's cut into the budgets of all of us, and it, it, it has created some challenges along the way. No doubt about that. 
but I prefer a different perspective. Every day I wake up and I realize that as an employed American, I'm in the top few percent of people in the world in my net worth and my annual wealth. I think about the billions, yes, with a B, billions of people in our world who live day-to-day on pennies where I enjoy the riches that I have. See, God is a global God. He sees the entire world's economy all at once. And quite frankly, American Christians are the rich Christians. You say, well, yeah, the rich people are the rich Christians. No, you, if you're listening to this podcast, likely fall into that category globally. As God sees his entire world and his entire kingdom, he looks at us with how much we have, and he sees in us the rich in our world today. That perspective helps me. So instead of comparing myself negatively to what others in our culture have that's more than me, I find myself better off to focus my attention on God as my source and provider to see myself a part of his global economy and his global care for his creation and his kingdom, and to understand that I can have real contentment in what I have because of the riches and blessing that God has given me today. So focus on the blessings you have instead of comparing negatively to what others have. Here's the third thing that helps me. Focused on what's really important not what the culture tells you is important. Focus on what is really important. You know, there are only two things in the Bible that are said to last forever. Two things. One, the Bible. The Word of God will endure forever. The second is people. People. So what really matters in our world today is the Word of God and people. That's what really matters. There is so much else in our world that really doesn't matter much. But these two things, the Bible and people, they really matter. I suppose that's why I like Thanksgiving, because it's about faith and family at our house. Faith and family. It's about what we believe and the message that we believe that's encapsulated in Scripture, and it's about our family, about being together and loving one another and being supportive as a family unit. But beyond that, it's about our family being on mission to make sure that other people in the world hear the gospel and have an opportunity to follow Jesus. That's what really matters. Right now, American Christians are so caught up in so many things that just don't matter that much. People often ask me about specific issues, particularly social justice issues and cultural issues, political issues, and they'll ask me, does this matter? And I say, yes, a little bit. (laughs) It matters a little bit, but it doesn't matter that much. If you are pursuing trying to make the world right In all these different categories, you will never find contentment. 
because you will be playing perpetual cultural whack-a-mole, trying to beat down or beat into submission all these different issues, which, yes, matter a little bit, but not ultimately. What ultimately matters and what's going to last forever is the Word of God and people. That's what matters. And so, focus your attentions there. And you will find that as these other issues become less important to you, I didn't say unimportant to you, I said less important to you, you will find contentment rising in your life because you will be less frustrated about things that just don't matter that much. Well, finally, one more step to contentment, and that is focus on accomplishing more. Focus your ambitions, if you will. As a result of experiencing God's love, not to earn his love. This is such a vital shift of perspective that leads to contentment. If you are living your life trying to achieve more, do more. If you are trying to fulfill your ambitions so that God will love you more, you are on a treadmill to nowhere. You will never find contentment because you are pursuing something that cannot be attained or achieved through self-effort. If you are trying to do enough ministry that God will love you, reach enough people that God will love you, gain enough notoriety that you will feel God's love, have enough influence that you feel like you make a difference and that God notices If you are doing any of these things to try to earn God's love, you are perpetually doomed to a life without contentment. Instead, receive God's love. Receive it. God loves you. Period. End of story. No questions asked. God loves you. Now, because he loves you and you want to respond to him in like fashion, you're going to do things to demonstrate your love for God, but you're going to do that in response to his love being received in your life, not in order to try to get him to love you. If you are on a cycle of success, as you may define it, that you believe is aimed toward achieving, experiencing, fulfilling God's love in your life. Stop it. Just stop it. And instead, take a giant step back and reflect on this great reality that God loves you. And that whatever zeal, ambition, effort, activity, whatever it is that you're going to bring to God in his service, you're doing it as a reflection of and in response to his love for you, not in order to get it. When I started learning that truth a number of years ago, it shifted so much about how I approach my work on a daily basis. Look, I am a go-getter. I'm up early. I work hard. I'm busy. I got a lot of, I've got a lot going on. But a number of years ago, I stopped doing all of that in order to get God to love me more. I stepped off the performance treadmill 
and I came to grips with the great reality, God loves me. And because of that, I want to love him back with all the service I can provide. But in response to God's love, not in some weird, perverted, difficult way of trying to earn it. Well, today we've talked about learning contentment. As I said at the beginning of the podcast, I have not learned it. I am learning it. Contentment is a spiritual discipline that I want to practice. It's a challenge. My ambitions still get the best of me. I can very easily fall into the traps of these biblical characters I mentioned earlier in the podcast that wanted more, more, more. And that lust led them to catastrophe. But you can move from catastrophe to commitment by rejecting the cultural lies about ambition and where contentment comes from. And then you can put into practice these four steps. Focus on God as the source of all you have. Focus on the blessings you have instead of comparing negatively to what others have. Focus on what's really important, not what the culture tells you is important. And focus on accomplishing more as a result of experiencing God's love than in order to get it. If you will put these things into practice during this Thanksgiving week, you will have a renewed experience of contentment. Let this Thanksgiving day be a day of reflection for you. A day of reflection that leads you to greater contentment. And then start putting into practice these things we've talked about on the podcast so that over the months ahead, you can say, I am learning contentment. And who knows, you may be able to write it like Paul did someday and say, I have learned contentment. You do that, you write down how you accomplished it and you send it to me and I'll put it into practice myself. But for me, it's still a process. It's an ongoing process. One I intend to stay with for the rest of my life as I learn contentment as a spiritual discipline. Thank you for listening today on the podcast. Put this teaching into practice. Reflect on it, especially this Thanksgiving day as you lead on.